Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute that needs resolution, you know that I recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Now, Barack, you not only handle litigation, but also serve as an arbitrator. Is that correct? It is, Dennis. Instead of going to court, two sides can hire an arbitrator to resolve the dispute. It's usually cheaper and a lot quicker. And we offer that service for a lot less than others. So what prompted you to start as an arbitrator? First, I discovered I was good at evaluating evidence and applying the law. People started asking us to handle more arbitrations. Second, I see an urgent need. The recent state budget crisis has shut down courtrooms. Cases that took at most a year will now take three to five years. Arbitration won't have that problem. Justice you shall seek. My friends, you know I trust Barack Lurie with my business and other legalities, and to make sure you get a fair resolution in your matter, call him to serve as your arbitrator at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Pursuing justice, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Park, 866-575-8111. Hi, this is Brock Lurie, and this is the Brock Lurie Podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. We haven't said that in quite a while, and sometimes it's worth uh, exploring that and saying that again. But we got to, you know, jump right into the news. And as you know, Hillary Clinton, she uh, continues to stall when it comes to questions regarding the emails, regarding the Clinton Foundation, regarding Benghazi, and uh, numerous other items that uh, always seem to crop up. She's an interesting woman, and I don't mean that in a good way. The Clintons themselves are uh, a really problematic uh, couple. And now it looks like uh, Chelsea Clinton is having a lot of troubles herself in the, uh, in the foundation. She's just apparently very difficult to work for. It. But that's, the, um, that's a scuttlebutt on her. Right now, for Chelsea, Chelsea Clinton, she's only a difficult person. She's not yet a conniving and cheating person like her parents. Give her a chance. <laughs> hey, look, I, I give her a chance. I, I hope that uh, people change, you know, or people are different than their own parents, right? I mean, you're, you're different than your father, right? Uh, in terms of politically, at least. Very different. Yeah, but like, like you said in previous episodes, people don't change. They only become more the way they are. That's so true. So I'm not saying she's like her parents, but she's her own form of awful. I and see. that form of awful will never change. Yeah, It'll only true. become more refined. People don't change unless there's a crisis. And in addition, they, they have to want to change. Those are two big things. And uh, most people don't have that crisis in their lives. If <clears throat> and, I, and I saw this uh, once in the meeting that I had. As you know, I, I like vegan uh, things, although I'm not a pure vegan. I suppose I'm a pesca vegan. I love being vegan. I love vegan events. And every once in a while here in Los Angeles, there'll be some sort of seminar that uh, showcases the latest movie about veganism, usually a documentary of some kind. And uh, there are about 60 or 70 people watching, and they're wanting to learn and, and all that stuff. And they show the, uh, the, the movie. And I look around. And I always am startled by, and I shouldn't be startled, by one very interesting fact. The average age of the audience is probably about 65. 
maybe even 70. When I go there, I'm 51 years old, and when I started going to these things, I was 40 or 35. I felt like I dropped down the, the average age by like five, five years just by entering into the room. And you, you ask yourself, well, why is this? Right? You, when you think about vegans, right, you think about young people. So why, why is it <clears throat> that I'm surrounded by 65-year-olds and 70-year-olds, right? Why? <laughs> and the, the answer is that each of these people has some sort of crisis in their lives. Cancer, a heart attack, a sudden onset of diabetes, stroke. Something big has happened that has shocked them. And somebody told them correctly, you might have a fighting chance if you go vegan. Okay? And I'm, I'm not, this, this, the portion of this, uh, we're not here to talk about veganism. We're, we're here to talk about change. And each of these people had a crisis on their hands. And, and that was when I realized that people don't change unless something is thrust upon them. Then the facts of life suddenly are thrust upon them. There's an old expression that you've heard before. Um, a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged, right? And it reminds me of a, of a time, and my dad told me about this one woman who worked at some sort of social workers uh, situation. And, and I don't mean this by any means as a dig on social workers. We need social workers. Uh, my, my wife, is uh, she's trained as a social worker, and she's a very good social worker. But the woman my dad was talking about was very liberal as well, and she felt incumbent upon her to go into the most dangerous areas and do her social work over there. You know, young, white, pretty girl going in there. Okay? One day, not after a very long time, sadly, she gets raped. Horrible, horrible situation. And uh, it, it was brutal. And then, you know, you'd think that you know, maybe she would change her tone a little bit. She, uh, <clears throat> after a couple of months of convalescence, she goes back into the field, exactly into the same neighborhood. Tragically, she gets raped again. But by different people, it was just horrific. And then finally she said, F this. Okay? Truly, I mean, even a liberal has to, apparently a liberal has to be mugged twice. <laughs> to become a conservative. But there you go. That right, right? is a great saying. Yeah. Remember that for your yeah. Sunday show. That okay. is, that's pure broccoli. <laughs> I appreciate it. But that's how hard it is for people to change. Right? It, it's fascinating to Well, me. not just hard, but how unwilling they are unless they're absolutely forced to yeah. by extraneous circumstances. That's right. And look, you, you and I, uh, we had different epiphanies that changed us. Uh, as you said about your your friend's father, I think, who who basically told you, look, you're just a communist. That's fine. He wasn't trying to convince you. He just told you what you were. And as a consequence, even though you didn't you didn't convert that moment, of course, but it seeped into your head, and you began to realize, yeah, I I am a communist. I am thinking this way. And that was enough to slowly open the door and sprout the seeds to to great conservatism and to make you the great American patriot that you are today. Or the right-wing extremists, as some of our mutual that's, friends that's call exactly me, right. behind my back. Right. <laughs> you are, them. You are, exactly. You're a great American, though. And, and, but no, you, you see things clearly. 
whereas previously you didn't, and, yes. and nor did I. So, and, and for me, <clears throat> likewise, it wasn't a um, sudden shock. So what's going on here, right? The point is that very few people really do change unless there's some sort of crisis that happens to them or they really, really want to understand better. There's something in their personality that allows them to change. And, and I will say this here. I'll say this on the radio. I'll see it otherwise. I'm ready to be turned on any issue. You can, if you somehow prove to me that Bill Clinton or even Obama, for that matter, was somehow a fantastic president, and you laid out for me, I'll, I'll say, okay, case closed. And I'll, I'll say, thank you for pointing the light to me. And, you know, and, and it, my, my brother, who was very liberal, my, my, and I have many other liberal friends, I, I think if I, if I were to say to them, gosh, golly, you know, you, you really turned my head and I realized I wasn't seeing some really key important things. And here I am praising Obama. And, and I don't think they would laugh at me. They wouldn't say, oh, you know, what a jerk you've been. Or they, would, they would simply say, welcome to the club, and I'm glad you see the light. And likewise, you and I would embrace a liberal who's become a conservative, right? We would say, isn't it cool? Oh, I think you're really going to enjoy this. You're going you're gonna to expand your mind as you go through. You wouldn't mock them for what they used to believe, nor do I mock you for what you used to believe. We just realized it was, it was empty. It was shallow. It didn't make sense. Sounded pretty, but it just didn't. It, in reality, it was not something that was sensible. So that's the way it is. And, and I, I, there's a new study that came out, and this is really what I want to talk about. A study that came out that said that people really don't change their minds by by people talking to them. Like you and I, you know, we have a couple couple liberal friends uh, that surround us in this office. And we can sit down with them and we can explain to them why liberalism doesn't work and why conservatism does work. And we could try to change the whole paradigm. We, you know, we would say things like uh, maybe one liberal policy that has ever worked. We could say, show me any city that, that has been run by the Democrats for any length of time that has not run down the hill. Right? Show me. We could, we could do all that stuff. And we'd be right. And they still wouldn't convert due to the facts, right? Not for a moment. And likewise, they would argue, and perhaps they're right, they could present all the stuff about how great Obama is or how great uh, whatever Clinton had ever done, LBJ and so on, and we would not change. Right now, the difference between the, us and them is that you and I used to be liberals. They were never conservative. It's a big difference. But let's just say for the sake of discussion, this, this study basically says what I just said. You can't persuade people to join your political camp. But yet people change. And that's what interests me the most. We did a podcast a long time ago, Ari, called Liberal by Association. It was one of our more popular podcasts. And in that podcast, I think we proved significantly that liberals are liberals because of an association that they have made in their head. Whether Not a, not a deal with the devil or anything else. It's just that they feel that being liberal is cooler. Or they remember that professor who was just so witty and so smart, and he's liberal, and I want to be like him. So even though I can't explain liberalism as well as he can, 
or, or what I think he can, uh, I'll just join his camp <laughs> because I'll be able to say what he said. All right? And that's the way it is. And then, you know, you can make fun of Dan Quayle, who doesn't know how to spell the word potato, on a chalkboard, and isn't that the greatest thing? Isn't that the funniest thing you've ever seen? Or the association may be a girlfriend that you once had, a boyfriend, whatever. Something, something clicks, an association that you've made that, that intelligent people are liberal and those backward people, they're conservative. And hence you have phrases that are just assumed, like those people clinging to their guns and religion. And right-wing nut job. Right. Phrases like this. Jesus freak. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that they make their associations. And, you know, that's the way it works sometimes for people. That's, it's what gets them through the day. But an association, make no mistake, does not prove anything. It's merely an association that you have made. That's it. All right. I think, uh, I think we've made that very clear. Associations are very powerful. And so, <clears throat> and, and people don't change. And so when we look at the Clintons, going back all the way to the Clintons, it's, you know, it's really remarkable. I mean, it, it, this is a couple that has not changed at all in terms of who they are. They, um, they've been, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, they've been corrupt. And I'm, I'm really not saying that as an opinion. I know... It's just a fact. I, I think For it's a fact. listeners who disagree, starry, tough, stipulated motion, it's a fact. It's a proven fact like the sun rises in the east. Right. It just is. They're, they're frauds. If you were to take this as a case before a court, a jury would find that these people have, among their other wrongdoings, engaged in fraud. Right? It's We find, we the jury find that the... Clintons acted fraudulently when they did the following in the past 30 years. Okay, X, Y, and Z. And, and you know, that's just what it is. It's, it, you could say it's an opinion of the jury, but not really. It's a finding of fact. And I think that the, the evidence finds that these people have acted fraudulently and corruptively and deceptively for decades. And we're not here to prove all those things, but we'll list a, a few of them in, in any event. Uh, so I'll list a few, then you can you can uh, pile on if you like, uh, Ari. But but really, me? Yes, you of all people. Yes, it's uh, hard to imagine you somebody is piling on. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you you got the Whitewater business. You've got the uh, Travelgate situation. You've got Benghazi. Uh, <clears throat> you've got the email scandal uh, that recently. Of course, the Clinton Foundation. And, uh, well, go ahead and pile on after that. Jennifer, Jennifer Flowers, Juanita Broderick, Monica Lewinsky, pa, uh, Paula, whatever her name is, uh, you know, the, the... Oh, yeah, yeah, Paula something. Yeah, Paula, whatever her name is, Kathleen Willey, and uh, Partridge and Peartree, so all the women. Well, then you have yeah. the Cattle Futures, then you have Vince Foster, uh, Ron Brown, uh, Charlie Tree and the Clinton uh, money donations from China, the giving away of the uh, U.S. patents to China, the giving away of all the information for how to make uh, long-distance subs quiet to the Chinese, so basically all these patents and technologies to China, and Ilian Gonzalez, and Waco, and uh, covering up Tim McVeigh and uh, Terry Nichols, executing them before their stories could be told, 
and um, bombing Iraq to cover up Lewinsky. <clears throat> I was going to say all those things, you know. But I just, uh, you know, you interrupted me, so you know. No, no he's a thorough uh, biographer, and that's the, just the tip. That's just the tip. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's not forget, of course, the, and this is not necessarily the corrupt. It simply reflects the corruption, the corrupt nature, uh, the you know, I can get away with the nature that yeah. they have, which is, uh, it depends on what the definition of is is, right? Uh, which is so funny that that phrase. But look, these people have lying in their bones and they've gotten away with it for so long that when they say, uh, when Hillary Clinton tells us that it's all about equality in, the, in, in women, uh, you, you just know, that, and it's, it's pure distractions. Everything that she does is all about distractions at the end of the day. Everything. Could you indulge me one second because I just remembered three Another more. Okay. The F-A-L-N uh, terrorist pardons the Mark Rich and all those pardons, and then the biggest of them all, stealing the White House, China, and silverware as they left office. Uh, why didn't we they start that off? They stole the people's <laughs> stuff. You know, that's a, I, you're right. They did steal that. And then they ask, oh, well, I didn't know that it didn't belong to them. <laughs> right, I thought I mean, it was ours. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you really can't blame the Baltimore rioters because they're just saying they're just doing what the Clintons did. Yeah, it's like clearing out the mini bar of your hotel room and going, what do you mean? You're sending me a bill for that stuff? It was in my room. That's right. And the pillows and the mattresses. <laughs> and those little uh, complimentary bathrobes right. with the embroidery four seasons that say, if you want one, let the front desk know. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, can you believe people like Chaim Saban and Stephen Bochco invite Hillary Clinton over to their house? for fundraisers, right? To raise money for a president. Of course. If I was wealthy and a Democrat, I wouldn't let this woman anywhere near my home. You have to bolt down everything. You have to put super glue underneath the ashtrays and the statuettes. <laughs> you, have to right. put, you have to put those little tile uh, locators, you know, those things to help you find your keys and remote controls on every fork, knife, and spoon in the whole house. They, but they were just so wonderful, don't you know? They presided over uh, the 90s, and, and it, it must be their, uh, to their credit that uh, the 90s were so, so good, economically speaking, because, you know, they were, they were around at the time. Anyway, we digress. The point is uh, that these people are just not credible people. And what's interesting to me, that they're fraudulent and they're corrupt people, and it's so clear as day. Uh, and then she says, you know, what difference does it make? And all the crazy expressions that we hear from her all the time. Um, she, you know, don't let uh, anyone believe you, uh, tell you that, that business uh, creates jobs and things like this. I mean, you just know she doesn't believe it herself. And she talks, and then recently she's talking about how everything has to be directed toward the poor and, and that the rich are, are, the fix is in for the rich, so to speak. Well, and she's one of them. So, you know, how is it? I mean, clearly I agree with the fix is in for you, lady. But, but why are you faulting everyone else? That yeah, and complaining about how high college tuition is when she's getting three hundred thousand for half-hour speeches at UCLA oh, it's, it's at public schools. It's 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 obviously an absurdity. Um, look, people don't change, and the Clintons are not going to change. And we need to. The, the the reason why we're bringing this story up is how endemic it is to liberalism itself, right? I mean. Look, I, I've always come to wonder how it is that, that liberals can believe what they believe as deeply as they believe it. I mean, we, we once 
ask the question, who are the true believers, right? Those who are atheists or those who are followers of God? And we, we had a really nice long debate about this, and it was really fun. Uh, I mean, I think we both came to the same conclusion that atheists are far more believers, as it were, in, their, in, in the non-existence of God and, and that we live in a chaotic, random world that was happened to just come here by chance than any believer in Jesus or God, Jewish, Christian, or otherwise, or even Muslim for that matter. They are far more talismanic about how they, how they advance themselves. And they're so dismissive of anyone who doesn't think like them. And then the question is, however, who is more uh, a true believer, the left, meaning the, the, the liberals, or the conservatives? And I, I will put it to you that the liberals are far, far more of a believer in their cause, whatever that is, the left with a capital L, than anything we have on the right. Our, our faith is in God. We have the perspective accordingly. We're willing to listen. We, we try to be respectful. In fact, we are very respectful. And yet, when it comes to the left, it's exactly the opposite. Uh, all you need to know uh, for, for, for pure symbolic purposes when you think of conservatism, you think of Tea Party. You think of the left, you think of Occupy Wall Street. Okay, that's it. Okay, these are, these are the extremes of our respective parties. I prefer our, our extreme, and I put extreme in quotes, because all the Tea Party really wants is simply a recognition of what this country was founded on. Okay? The liberals want complete change of everything. What, they, what that change is, they, don't, they themselves don't even know. <laughs> but but they're, they're nasty. They're angry. Uh, they commit all sorts of crime during these Occupy Wall Street things I'm talking about. They pollute, they litter, they, they rape, they steal. It, it's, they arson. They arson, that's exactly right. Um, and yes, we know the phrase. It's interesting. We, we know the phrase is. Yeah, we know the phrase really is to commit arson. Okay, fine. <laughs> the arson. Jeez. We'll hear about this from some of our liberal listeners very soon. I'm sure. Yeah. The the people who say you uh, wrote Y O U R and you should have had an apostrophe R E right. at the end of that. <laughs> All right. So so it begs the question: Who started this way of thinking? This talismanic way of thinking, liberal of, of the liberal agenda. Because it's, it's, it's different, isn't it, than what it was back in the days of JFK or, or Truman before him or, uh, or even Roosevelt. I mean, people didn't ask to be true believers back then. They, they, may, feel, they may feel that uh, they, they feel strongly about their position. This is the way we like to do things. But it wasn't like it is now. Now they've really dug in their heels. That it, it, you know, they use the phrase polarized right now, and, and that's a pretty... Pretty fair characterization, but I don't think it's as it's as simple as that for the conservative side. I think it is simple as that for the liberal side, because they believe that the other side, uh, meaning us, are evil. We just think of them as stupid, uh, shallow, naive is, is probably the politest term. We I've use. turned over a new leaf, and I think of them as evil now. Well, I mean, but you but, know but me. Not, but, not, but not all of them. That's the, that's the difference. Whereas many on the left will consider all of us conservatives as mostly evil, and those who are not evil, well, we're all, we've all just been duped. 
by the evil ones, right? We're, we're the stupid ones for, for following these, these otherwise evil people. And, and, you know, Obama believes it himself. He just said on, on in the conference at a very liberal university, of course, you know, we've got to change the way that, that the discussion is made regarding poverty, and we've got to change the way the news is reported, because once we do that, and particularly with regard to Fox News, then, of course, that will, that will change Mitch McConnell and um, Harry Reid and other people like him. Uh, not Harry, I'm John sorry. John Boehner. Uh, John Boehner. And, uh, you know, that will, everything flows from that. Because you understand Fox News is our puppet masters, <laughs> and we just do whatever they tell them. And, you know, like once you chop off the head of a snake, well, then it doesn't go anywhere, right? I mean, that's the way they feel about the conservatives. There's some man behind the curtain, and once you get rid of him, then everything flows from there. Right, like in all those movies of 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 uh, you know science fiction, get to the source, man. Oh yeah, like every, Ender's Game. And, you oh, get to, like like all those movies yeah, that we talked about. Destroy the Queen and all the yeah, ants die. Yeah, exactly. That's what they think. They think of that of, of of a conservative cause, but of course it's exactly the opposite. We are we are an island of people, islands, many islands of people. We are like the United States of America in that sense, right? We we are confederacy at best. Of different ideas, all pulling in the different directions, and that's why we seem so disorganized. <clears throat> yeah, they they go by one thought, one mind. Right, they believe in their way. They they ask, what are the talking points all the time? Where do we stand on this issue? Right, it's it's always that's always interesting with them. They always ask that question, uh, what, what's our position on this? Whereas we conservatives, we, we a news item comes out, and we know exactly where we stand on it. Right, we know what's right and what's wrong. We don't have to ask somebody. What, what, how, what should I believe? Yeah, and then we pull our hair out as our political leaders who say they're on our side screw it up because they can't say right. the truth. <laughs> right. Okay, so, so there's an excellent article from uh, Brett Stevens, I believe, in the um, Wall Street Journal. It came out uh, April 13, and the title is Hillary and the Liberal Way of Lying. And he addresses this point um, tangentially, but, but I liked it so much. He talks about how it came to be that this lying had become such a, an art form for the Clintons that it eventually bled into everything else they did. And after a while, they, they realized, hey, we're getting away with this. And the media took note. And other politicians took note. And it soon became, well, this is the way things should be. And they believe, um, that they, and they learned from uh, that the lying was for the greater good. And I'm quoting now. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> Usually to fend off some form of Republican malevolence, right? What was so intoxicating that the initiated were smart enough to see through it all? Why be scandalized when they, can't, when they can be amused? Why moralize when they could collude? It always works. Uh, and he writes, we are hardly a month past Hillary Clinton's uh, <clears throat> Servergate press conference in which he served up Whoppers faster than a Burger King burger flipper <laughs> lies, <laughs> lies large and small, venial and potentially criminal and all of them quickly found out all of them. Emails to Bill who never emails question mark, the convenience of one device despite having more than one device and, and then I would also add the, the, the suggestion that somehow deleting all these emails was, you know, in the ordinary course of her conduct. <clears throat> he writes, it doesn't matter. Now Mrs. Clinton is running for president, and only a simpleton would fail to appreciate 
that the higher mendacity is a recommendation for the highest office. In the right hands, the thinking goes, lying can be a positive good as political moisturizer and diplomatic lubricant. Okay, these are, these are tough words by Brett Stevens, but he's, he's saying it like a fact, and it is a fact. And he's absolutely right, <clears throat> not to interrupt, but if you remember the Clinton years, the media would be beyond the issue of whether Clinton's whoppers about any of the issues we brought up earlier were lies or not. Their narrative was, he lies so well. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he the greatest politician ever? Have you ever seen a politician lie with such elan and flair? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, it is becoming no different than all than the Castro regime. Than the, and I'm not saying that they're actually dictators, but they're, they are sharing something in common with these dictators. The, the same thing that you, that you heard from, um, not Brave New World, the other book, in 1984, when George Orwell, and I took so many things away from that book, but the thing that really stuck with me is how the news report, the government was always telling the people different things almost every day about what to believe. So, and there was the enemy country was Oceania, right? Um, and, and we're at war with Oceania. We must destroy them. And then the next day, they're told that they were, they were, we were never at war with Oceania. Oceania is our friend. In other words, whatever is convenient for the government for the time being. And, and you had to play along. And no one would ever ask the question, well, wait a minute. Just yesterday, you told us we were at war with Oceania. What, what gives? Uh, but you're not, of course, allowed to ask that question. But the fact that people think that this government, and for that matter, this, these Clintons, think that nobody's going to stop them and ask, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They have, this reflects a true believer. See, this is, this is how you get to that point that we asked in the beginning of this podcast. How does it get to be that the left can be so such a, such a true believer. How does anyone become that way? And, and to some extent, you just have to believe this art of lying. Hillary and the liberal way of lying, it becomes so endemic into the way that they present themselves, the, the policies that they hold. And, and the only way to stay in the party at some point is to accept the lies. You have to embrace them yourselves. And come up with new ones. The yeah. new, if you notice, the, every, as they call it, new up-and-comer on the bench of the Democrats. Obama's the perfect example as the heir of the Clinton legacy, as the next Democrat president to come down the pike. Didn't just lie. He came up with his own new melange of lies. Yeah, that's right. Right? It, it's, it's like, maybe this is the way we'll end it, um, it's like... When, if you ever want to join the mob or a gang or a cult for that matter, what do they all have in common? First thing you have to do is be initiated through either a beating or an action that distances your, you, yourself from your own moral values. Thank you. That's exactly what I was going for. That you do have to uh, either you know, do a killing yourself, uh, commit a crime yourself, some kind of other, or do something that is so offensive to your former self. Usually that's the cult status situation. That you, you, you have to reconcile it in your head. And the only way to reconcile what you've just done is to embrace the entire ideology of what you've just joined. 
suddenly you are a mafioso. Suddenly you are a Scientologist. Suddenly you are a crypt, right? Crip. Crip. I'm sorry. Crip, yeah, right. Crip or a blood. You're in the gang, okay? And now you're in there for good, and you, you have to embrace it all. And that's what, sadly, not liberals, generally speaking, some liberals for sure, but the Democratic Party is becoming. If you're going to join the liberal party, the Democratic Party, you've got to do some bad stuff to join. Boy, this is going to stir up a lot of controversy and a lot of emails, I know, but uh, we look forward to it. I think we can back it up. In the meantime, don't go away. We'll be right back. You know, time marches on, and I saw this movie called World War Z. It came out a year or two ago, I think, and it's with uh, Brad Pitt and a couple of other famous oh, yeah, actors. Oh, yeah, zombie. Zombie yes, movie. it's basically a zombie movie. Uh, but it was somehow done in a more classic way, and it was uh, more interesting and, and engaging than, you know, a true horror zombie film. It was just very interesting. They did a good job. Um, and the notion of zombies is what I want to speak about today. You know, as you see this movie, and for, for that matter, most zombie-type movies, there's this easy zombification of people. Uh, either they get bitten or they get touched or something happens and boom, they're a zombie. And the World War Z movie shows these people all being cornered and, you know, just clinging on to dear life and... And uh, they, they, at one point, they try to escape from Israel, I think it is, uh, where problems are already happening because of the zombies. Not the Palestinians for the first time, but zombies, right? And they, uh, they get out, <laughs> and sadly, there's a zombie that has managed to get on the, the, the plane, and, and he, st he starts uh, making the, the entire plane goes zombie, and they crash and so on. Anyway, why do I bring this up? Because do you get the feeling that... 
we're being surrounded by zombies. Every day, especially here in Brentwood. <laughs> no, no, every day. I, I'm not talking about liberals, although there's an argument to be made about that too. Because it's, it's not a perfect analogy with liberals because they, you have to, they have to be so convincing. They're so persuasive, you know, that they can touch you and, and, or just talk to you and suddenly you're, you're a liberal yourself. I, I don't think you're in danger of becoming a liberal, uh, nor am I no matter what they say to us at this point. And on the contrary, it's far easier to become a conservative because logic compels you to be conservative and no amount of logic will compel you to be a liberal. We got that. I think that's 100% right. I'm speaking more in terms of what I'm seeing among the ISIS crowd and the radical Islam crowd. And it is so powerful what's happening. The spread of radical Islam is so terrifying. And I say the word terrifying in a, almost in a scientific way. I mean that it is grabbing hold in the same way that bacteria multiply. And they are able to convince their followers to join them very easily uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, even according to uh, the, um, uh, the liberals themselves who believe that the reason why there's this radical Islam happening, if, if they even choose to, to name it as such, right? They, they refuse to even to characterize things properly as they should. But even if they accepted that, they, they're the ones who are saying that the reason why these guys exist in the first place, why they are growing, it's because of lack of jobs, right? So all we need to do is make sure they have jobs, Okay, now let's put aside the fact that that's exactly what Bush tried to do in the Iraq war and his efforts to bring capitalism and democracy to Iraq. But they only want it when a liberal does it somehow. So how do you expect these jobs to happen in the first place, by the way, folks? I mean, what is it that you don't understand? These dictators won't give it to you, and yet you don't want to fight the dictators. So which is it? I mean, they want it all. They want to make omelets without breaking eggshells, right? as they say. But so, so one aspect of their easy growth is, even if you were to buy the liberal mantra, is that they don't have jobs. Granted, they don't have jobs, okay? But, but more significantly, they are, they're given a path that they're told from day one is the correct path and, and it involves 72 virgins and martyrdom is the most wonderful thing you can do. And, and life truly sucks for them. It's a really bad way to live. So that, and then also the, the fact that the bad guys are prevailing and they're doing, uh, you know, there's nothing, what's the expression? Nothing succeeds like, like success, right? I mean, and, and, and I'm saying success in a, in a horrific way. These Islamic, uh, uh, you know, uh, radicals, the ISIS and otherwise, they're growing dramatically every day. They're making tons of money every day. And if you're just another Muslim there that doesn't embrace the radical Islamic ideology, but you see they're winning. You know, I, I can see how many of them would turn. They will become the zombies, right? And that's what we're seeing in the Islamic State growth. I don't think people understand how significant this is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, the, the whole Islamic content, uh, the, the region of the Middle East is 
being overwhelmed by not just ISIS, but all the affiliates of ISIS. They're taking over. And now, they, you know, just look at the map. They're, they're, they're taking over Libya. They're, they've taken over Yemen. And they've certainly taken over um, Syria. And now they're going to soon take over Iraq. The squeeze is going to happen. I mean, just look at the map. And we can't show the map here on the, on the show, but that's a triangle right there that we're talking about, a very big triangle. And they're going to squeeze into Egypt and to Saudi Arabia. And no wonder Egypt and Saudi Arabia are terrified because, well, ISIS surrounds them. Their only friend is Israel at the end of the day when you think about it. Um, so that's going to grow. And it, it grows because it can. Just, you know, you might as well wonder why bacteria grows, why amoeba grows, why a virus grows. It, it does because it needs to grow. I mean, you said it very well, Ari. It, it produces only one thing, and that is destruction. Destruction is very easy when you think about it, right? I mean, we talked about this before on a previous podcast that if you want to be well-known instantaneously, you can do so within half an hour. Uh, depending on your weapon of choice, uh, an AK-47, uh, some sort of dynamite or poison for that matter. Or you, a car or a knife. Yeah, a car. Yeah, car. you just go around and it kills as many people as you can, and, and you can do it in the theater like that crazy nut job did in, in Colorado. And suddenly you're on the national news. In fact, world news altogether. That's where you are. But to do something good, that takes work. I mean, it, no one's going to put you on the news, first of all, because, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, as they say. But even if you did tremendous good, it, it, only, it, it can only be done one person at a time. Real good, we're talking about. Not the good that the liberals think is good, like... Uh, I don't know, spending $100 billion, you know, sp- passing a bill that allows you to do $100 billion no, for we're talking a high bullet train. The slow slog of Mother Teresa in Calcutta. That's right. One person at a time, and after maybe 40 or 50 years, someone notices. That's right. Yeah, that, that you know, you might get noticed at all. And it, it, it dawned on me also, by the way, that, for you know, you and I go to these charity events, you know, for, for the good work that a lot of people do. And there's always somebody who's being honored, right? And generally speaking, however, that person has dedicated himself to that particular issue. So let's say Wounded Warriors Project or a, a certain disease that is running rampant and you want to you know, raise money to, to stop that disease. They put all their money and effort into it, and uh, now they're being recognized. But, but what if you are giving exactly the same amount of money and effort, for that matter, but you spread it over many good causes? Right? You give, instead of the $100,000 you give to one cause, you give... 1000 to 100 causes. Exactly. Yeah. You'll never be recognized, right? But why, why aren't you? I mean, aren't you Didn't doing great things? Platinum circle. Yeah, exactly. You know. There you go. That's the thing. Anyway, so uh, let's not digress too far. The point is that... But it's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. ISIS, however, does destruction, and it does it well, and it's constantly uh, succeeding in its, in its destruction. Whether it has a, a, an end game at all to ever build anything, well, that's another story. But that will still take a, quite a while before it creates its, um, what's the expression, the caliphate, right? They want the world caliphate. They certainly want it all over the Middle East and eventually in Europe. And they're succeeding. They're succeeding because, one, the power of destruction is far more powerful and easy than the power of construction. And it feels good. 
Oh yeah, because because you you blow up uh, the Buddhist statues, for example, uh, that takes seconds. And it feels good because they feel like they're destroying what, what is horrifically uh, an infidel project to them, as opposed to the, the centuries that it took to build those two Buddha statues. That's one thing. Uh, and then secondly, um, people let them grow. They, they, this is what we, and I say we, I mean Europe, has been allowing to happen for a number of reasons. I mean, it we can talk about it all day long. The most obvious ones being that they don't care about God anymore, not in the Judeo-Christian sense. That's laughable to them. Um, and they don't, uh, they don't have a sense of capitalism. They don't have a sense of history. They don't have a sense of purpose. And they don't... And they're, over, and, and they're overly um, PC. Yeah, I think also a <clears throat> huge factor is they aren't convinced and they make no effort to defend their own cultural superiority. What do I mean by that? I mean the idea of multiculturalism, that all cultures are equal, fails to take into account in their own minds these deplorable cultures. Yeah. They're, because of how they've been educated, and this is why I talk about the, the zombification of areas like Brentwood, where this isn't, say, passed on in a bite or a scratch, but through the education system, they don't. Uh, uh, care to defend themselves in, in aggregate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, what wins in war, at the end of the day, it's very important to have uh, the proper weapons and the proper food supplies and the chain supplies and, the, and, and proper battle strategies. Absolutely true. However, it doesn't matter how much you have in that department, if you don't have passion... And uh, a related cousin of that, which is morale, good morale, you will not win the war. It's impossible. It's like uh, asking you to write a great book, right? You'll write a great book if you have something that you really want to say. If I, if, you, if I tell you just write a book and you don't have any passion to it at all, it won't be a good book and nobody will read it, right? Same thing with the prosecution of a war. It is... It is, it's an endeavor. It's a mission. And a mission can only occur successfully if there's passion to it. That's all. End of the story. It's true with everything we do in life. My representation of clients, uh, I, I cannot represent a client well if I don't believe in the case. Um, if I don't believe my, what I'm actually saying to the, to the court, I'm going to lose that case. Uh, maybe other lawyers can do it somehow. I can't. Yeah, or relationships with a man. Oh, and a good woman. point. Yeah, think about how all those relationships of people we know out there fail terribly because there's no passion for each other. Right. Yeah, but but a really good example, Ari. Um, yeah, the man and the woman, they have all the right parts, right? They, you can say they're even the same, they're age appropriate and such like that. They may live in the same town and maybe even have a, an interest or two in common. But if they don't feel the need to be with each other, then it's, it ain't going to work, right? And that's the way we deal with the, the fighting of, of evil called radical Islam. We have to do it. We must do it. It's, it's, it's an inevitable destiny that we have to, to do, but we just don't have that passion. And so that's why all over the Middle East, Islamic radicalism is, is advancing. And now it's advancing in Europe. 
there are articles after articles uh, about what's happening in England and France and um, Spain, no less, Sweden and Norway. Uh, the Islamification there is, is wildly extensive. And they are having a lot of children. They are shaming the Westerners there, the, the native Europeans, uh, as it were, um, into to never saying anything negative about Islam because that would be just too scary and too dangerous. So they embrace Islam instead. So it, it, it accelerates the problem because they know that if they say anything that might be construed as at all critical of Islam, then they're dead. And so they don't even want to be neutral on the subject because they, they want to make it clear that they're not against Islam. So they'll go out there and, and advocate strongly for more immigration of Islam, uh, of Islamic immigrants. They'll advocate more for embracing Allah in the religious curriculum, and so on. And this is what's happening in England, Paris, all over Europe. It's happening. And they, and they wonder whether this is ever going to stop. They, they're just hoping it's going to stop. But why would it? I mean, from the Islamic immigrants' point of view, Europe is a fantastic place. Because, first of all, you get all sorts of goodies. There are socialist uh, nations, every one of them. Uh, or some varying degrees, of course. Um, there's infrastructure there. They get to do whatever they want there. And at the same time, they get to practice their Islamic uh, radical ways. What's not to no, like? And there's no one standing in the way of conquest. You know, I, I drive around Los Angeles, and the last few years for me, really, the second September 11th happened. This has happened to me. And I look at what we see here. And I feel like I'm in, I've traveled in a time machine, and all I'm seeing is the past. Yeah. A, a wonderful past, a, a time of glory of our society, in, which is inhabited by people who have no idea that it's about to be gone. Yeah, that's and right. And that's what Europe already is. It's gone. Yeah. They've been conquered. They just haven't admitted it to themselves. Right. And it's so it's so interesting. Um, so a few days ago, I was in a restaurant here in Los Angeles, as an example of the past. And I was with a friend who uh, is of Indian descent, India, you know, part of Asia descent. And he was saying he's a liberal guy, and he was saying something about how terrible life is. I said, "Dude, look around." And in this restaurant, there were black people, Asian people, people of all different colors and races, <clears throat> all dining. Right. And I said to him, think about in the history of America, or the history of the world, that the ancestors of all the people in this restaurant, historically, have been at each other's throats and at, at war with each other for millennia, trying to conquer and reconquer each other. And today we're seeing in this restaurant in Los Angeles, and the descendants of all these people are participating in their daily lives together peacefully. Is this not a miracle? Is this not something yeah. that's precious and worth defending to the death, essentially, right. from anyone who wants to, uh, to end this? Yeah. And then think about how these people in this restaurant, most of the people around Los Angeles, have no idea that there's a gigantic population out there in other parts of the world or here on university campuses that still has the mentality of conquest. Yeah, they, they, they will never get that because it is uh, such a bubble. And we use that phrase very, um, you know, globally all the time. We say, what a bubble, what a bubble they live in, what a bubble. 
but you, you really don't understand. I mean, and I want to describe the bubble, and I'm not you. It's you I'm talking about. So many of our liberal friends just don't understand what we mean by this. It means that America is the exception to the rule. What you're describing as that nice restaurant with a whole bunch of different kinds of people there, that's the exception to the rule. It, it just doesn't exist in history. Warring is the rule. Corruption is the rule. Uh, the changing of history is the rule. That's what has always been the way. This notion of peaceful coexistence uh, is absurd when compared to the rest of history. This notion that history matters and you need to get to the truth of what happened in the past, that's absurd. The, the, the notion of one man, one vote, the, the notion of a rule of law where contracts are enforced and uh, justice shall prevail. These are preposterously uh, anomalous to what history has provided in the past. Preposterously. And, and yet we, we've lived in it for so long that we've taken it for granted. We've, even taken for granted is, is, a, is a trite phrase. We, we don't know anything else. We're unable to understand. Or imagine yeah. what life is like without this. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and so when we see Obama or the Clintons engaging in this nefarious cronyism, these efforts to kind of wash each other's back, and, and it's outright corruption, especially with the Clinton Foundation issues that we're speaking about, you and I look at it and say, yeah, that's the way it normally is. Why are you so surprised? The, the, the liberals, uh, like so many of our good friends on the far left, they... They say, and they're correct to say, well, they're presumed innocent until proven guilty. That's, that's correct. But it doesn't mean that they're not guilty. <laughs> uh, all, the, all the facts are there uh, that suggest corruption. And what they don't understand is that's the natural order of things, is to make sure that one uh, hand washes the other or scratch my back and so on. That's what is the norm. The idea that we actually have checks and balances that's wildly exceptional. Do you, do you get that, folks? Yeah, that the strong can't just brutalize the weak yeah. and engage in corruption, gets the unconnected. That is what is normal. The strong brutalizes the weak, just like you said. Uh, people exploit opportunities. Uh, if they could, they would take uh, everyone else's money from them, and it's just a question of strength and, how, and, and wit and, and some conniving. That's, that's how you do it. But we have a system in place that allows everyone to have that opportunity to have a fair shot at making a lot of money, so long as they do it fairly and within the confines of the law. Very unique. And, and going back now to the zombie, the zombification, you see that's one of the other elements that allows the zombies to, to grow, is that our failure to recognize how wonderfully unique our, our precious America is this notion of democracy, and particularly American democracy, the one that likes to spread liberty throughout the world. How unique that is, is if you can't appreciate that time and time again, it's like, it's like not appreciating your beautiful wife anymore, right? You just say, oh yeah, she's a woman with all the woman parts, and you know, she's just a woman like any other, and uh, there's nothing special about her. How long is that marriage going to last if you feel that way? 
right? You, you have to treasure your wife in order for that marriage to work. And she, in turn, has to treasure you in her, in her own way. But we don't treasure America. That's really the point, isn't it? We just don't treasure her. And, and if you don't treasure America, just like you don't treasure your, your spouse, well, that relationship is going to end. You're guaranteed to lose it. Yeah. You're guaranteed to lose her. Yeah. You're guaranteed to lose everything. And we, we are teaching in the schools and otherwise, and the media and so on. It's not just the schools. We are teaching everyone not only not to treasure America, but to despise America. We, we, we take that extra step, don't you know? Okay, we, we are on the destructive path along with ISIS in our own way. We don't blow up the buildings like they do, but we are destroying. We break people's hearts. We do it at the heart and soul and mind level. And that's why I talked about Brentwood out your window here. Is, yeah. is infested with zombies because they might not do it by bite or claw, but they do it through the education system, well, through our culture, right. through the rot within families. Well, they are destroying institutions that are just as meaningful, uh, in fact, more meaningful than the buildings that ISIS destroys. They destroy the institution of marriage. They destroy the institution of history. Uh, they destroy the notion of democracy, uh, the, the checks and balances. that engage in worship. Yeah, religious institutions. This is what they... This is what they are doing right now. So, in essence, in that one way, they're just like ISIS. Yeah. How many people, times do you hear liberals say, because I almost never hear conservatives say this, the system is broken. <laughs> Here, right? Yeah. That phrase. And it's pure critical theory because they never say what they intend, which is to replace the system with something a million times worse. Right? We've right. discussed that <clears throat> ad nauseum, Right. The system is broken. Well, but they never also say, well, why is it broken? Why have you and your ideologies and your politicians and your elected officials and bureaucrats overloaded this thing so it doesn't, it can't function? Well, like we said, we're, we're, we are destroying our own institutions. We are cannibalizing from within. We are doing the work that ISIS would love us to do. They, they couldn't find better people to do it than ourselves. We are our own enemies. And so, you know, we, we, we worry, but we, we pretend to worry about ISIS growing. But why are we surprised? ISIS is growing because we're allowing it to grow. That's the whole point of yeah, this podcast. ISIS, this, yes. this, this is what this podcast is about. The Europeans are allowing ISIS to grow. And it's only because ISIS is so much closer to them than they are to us here in America or Australia, for that matter. This is the reason why. And uh, until the, the point that you realize you do have enemies at the, at the doorstep, until you decide to treasure your, your own institutions, you, it'll never work. And, and you're going to lose it all, just like you'll lose that wonderful wife, just like you'll lose your, your family if you don't treasure them, if you don't care for them. That's, and, and, and why are you so surprised? That, that horrible day, when Europe will be, it'll be clear that Europe is not a place you ever go to. It's just one of those areas now. It's a, the whole of Europe will become a no-go zone. And you'll ask yourself, how did this come about? How did this come to be? I mean, you and I talk about how Notre Dame will one day become a mosque. But in reality, we say it because all of Europe will be Islamified. It'll be one of many mosques. It'll, it'll be, of course it'll be a mosque. It won't just be a mosque isolated from the rest of otherwise Christian Paris. No. It's all going to be Islamified. 
because the Europeans let it be so. They don't treasure where they are, who they are. They don't know who they are. And for that reason, we have much to, to worry about. And the zombies are all around us, all around us. I worry uh, for our future. And um, we, we see ISIS now growing in Ramadi. And a great article in the Wall Street Journal just recently said, you know, compared what's happening now vis-a-vis -vis Baghdad and Iraq to what happened with Saigon and Vietnam. And the, the telling point was that one general noticed that the victories were getting closer and closer to Saigon, <laughs> meaning that the Western victories, the, the, the American victories, the South Vietnamese victories that they were reporting were getting closer to Saigon, which means it meant a bad sign, right? Just the fact that you're, being, you're able to maybe fend off the bad guys you know, closer and closer to the, to the castle walls doesn't mean that the castle is not in danger. And that's what's happening now in Baghdad. Ramadi's remarkably close to Baghdad, and they're just getting closer and closer. Baghdad will fall. And I, and I make this as a prediction, not because I'm some wonderful Nostradamus type. Far from it. I'm, I'm an average Joe. I, I just see it because I play chess. It, it, I could look at any chess game and tell you who's going to win the game three quarters of the way into it. That's not hard. It might be hard to, to predict who's going to win the game in the very beginning of a game. But halfway, more often than not, I can tell you who's going to win. Three quarters of the way, I can definitely tell you who's going to win. But this is what is going to happen in Iraq. Iraq will fall completely. Baghdad will fall completely. And the reason why it has to fall is, are all the things we just talked about. But the most important one being that the Iraqis... Not only do they not have the manpower and the military power, they just don't have the willpower. They don't have the passion to fight back. And the temptation to join the enemy is going to be far too great. We will not see uh, any success in Iraq in any real way while this president is still in charge and while we still don't have our own passion to fight it all the way to the end. And Europe, well, it's already gone. We ended with that sad note, but the good news is we, we in America may be the last one standing. We may ultimately be, like in World War Z, Israel, which was the only country that managed to stave off all the zombies because it understood how to fight back against the zombies, how to think differently vis-a-vis -vis the zombies. And maybe we will be the ones that, that will learn all the lessons uh, of, of what it means to be passionless. Get back our passion, and we might actually be able to save our country. My friends, this is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you real soon. <laughs>